Hi, everyone. Super excited to share my podcast conversation with my friend, Eric Strid, the co-founder and CEO of Consentance Wealth Advisors. This was my first financial advisor to come on the podcast, so not only was it interesting to learn about Eric's entrepreneurial story, but it also was a very informative podcast, especially in light of the coronavirus and its effect on the market. So quick background on Eric, he lives with his wife, Karen, and three children right outside of Philadelphia. He grew up in Villanova alongside his four younger siblings. Eric went to Holy Child at Rosemont. I also went there, so I had to give a shout out to what an awesome grade school it is. Then he continued on to Episcopal Academy for high school and then Amherst for college. When Eric graduated from Amherst, he worked in the financial industry for a couple of years before joining his dad in 1993 at Merrill Lynch, where they formed J.D. Strait and Associates. Over the next 20 years, they worked hard on their vision while working for two different Wall Street brokerage firms. Then in February 2014, Eric, his dad, and brother Paul took a leap of faith and decided to leave the big banks to start their own wealth management firm called Consentance Wealth Advisors. So over the past six years, Eric and his team have become proven experts in the financial industry. If you'd like to learn some more on the insight that Eric can provide, be sure to check out the three books he has published, and I'll make sure to include links to all the books in the show notes. Thanks so much, guys. I hope you enjoy. So, hi, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Super excited to have you here, Um, given that you not only have a great entrepreneurial story, but um, I know that you can provide a lot of, we were just talking about, universal life advice to people about investing. So, Mm -hmm. I think that everyone of all ages will be able to benefit from this interview. And I saw you guys just celebrated your sixth anniversary? Yes. Okay. Very cool. Six years. So, yeah, so just really excited to have you here. And like I said, I don't um, know too much about investing, so I'm a beginner, so I'm excited to learn more. But I did have um, a lot of fun researching you. So your latest book, Exploring, Replacing an Outdated Paradigm for the Retirement Years and Exploring a New Phase of Life, you talk a lot about how people are living much longer in life, which as a result has been affecting their long-term retirement plans. And... There are a lot of fascinating facts that you talk about in that book. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you said your grandfather retired at 67 and then passed away at 70? Uh, around there, yeah. Around there. Uh, 65 and 67. Okay. For the ages, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then today, people might retire 60, 65 and are living for another 30 years. Yes. So it's just crazy and how, you know, you provide a lot of insightful advice and guidance on how this generation often referred to as the baby boomers, mm-hmm. yep. um, can plan for this long-term retirement. So really cool stuff. And then after the interview, I'll have show notes to all your books and everything. Okay. They can you know definitely provide a lot of value to the listeners. Great. Um, and just so listeners know how we're connected, so our family sort of grew up together in the Philly area. Yes. We both went to Holy Child uh-huh. in Rosemont for grade school. And then um, Philly Country Club and everything else. And then also um, your parents, who I love. I just told you I talked to your mom yesterday. Yes. She gave me some good insight into your life and, you know, a little bit of good background. Um, so with that being said, I thought you could start out by telling the listeners a little bit about where you grew up and went to school. Sure. Yeah. And it's it's a big part of who I am today. Um, I'm a lifer here on the mainline mm-hmm. mainline area. Um, as you said, I... Grew up, I grew up in Villanova. I um, went to Holy Child for my grade school years yeah. and then went to Episcopal Academy. Mm-hmm. At the time, it was down in Marion, uh, Marion PA. Um, 
and then off to a college at Amherst College up in Massachusetts. Okay. Um, as I often joke with people, uh, when I grew up, my parents lived on um, the west side of Villanova's campus, mm-hmm. and I now live on the east side of Villanova's okay. campus. I didn't yeah. get far. Right. Um, I sent my own kids to Holy Child. My own kids mm-hmm. are now attending Episcopal. So okay. um, the institutions that I grew up with and the area here uh, in mainline Philadelphia uh, is just... Um, it's very special to me and a huge part of, of who I am mm. um, in life today. Got it. And what year were you at Holy Child? Uh, well, I think I graduated in 1983 okay. from Holy Child. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah so yeah. a long time ago. Yeah, I was 2002. Okay. So a yes. little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I loved it too. The whole network there is really great. Yes. And then Episcopal is beautiful too. Episcopal is wonderful. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned at the time, Episcopal was down in Marion, just okay. really out, just outside of the city on City Line Avenue. And now they've built this new campus here in Newtown Square that's uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous piece of property. Yeah, yeah. very nice. Yeah. Um, and then starting in the beginning, too. So I know you're the oldest of five kids. Yes. So what was that like growing up with all those siblings? Yeah, it was a, uh, never, never a dull moment, I'll say that. I mean, I think with, with that large of a family, um, you know, at least my experience was that being the oldest, you really are, in a way, a surrogate parent mm-hmm. uh, because you know, five kids are real tough to manage, yeah. uh, you know, for, for one one couple. Right. So um, I really always kind of took that role in the family as somebody who, um, you know, was a leader, was, you know, always trying to be helpful and you know raising helping raise my siblings um and I think in a lot of ways it helped me kind of form my personality as as a leader that I I use in my everyday life today definitely and so and they were all within six years right yes my youngest brother is uh, six years younger than me wow insane yeah (laughs) and you guys were all super close yes uh we all today everybody lives within maybe 10 miles of where my parents live okay very nice and then speaking of your parents what sort of influence um did they have on you growing up and then today also? Yeah, so we were a very close family um, in, in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, you know, for me in particular, my father was just a huge role model for me. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, He's a man of very high character and someone I've always looked up to in a big way my whole life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a matter of fact, you know, I, today that translates to the fact that we work we're together. together. Yeah. Um, so we're, you know, we're together every day. and still a big part of our business and a big part of my life. Right. And then your mom too. My mom, um, of course was, uh, she was, you know, I guess you'd say a stay at home mom. Um, so, you know, always there for us. She was a a quintessential supportive mom. I mean, Mm -hmm. she just was always there for us, whatever, whatever we needed. Right. Um, and I also, um, I always say that, uh, I really always admired my mom a lot for one particular skill she had, which was, She's a writer, okay. and um, she was uh, has been an author for years and years, and mm-hmm. over my life has written books and poems, and um, really very accomplished, and, and stuff that uh, her poetry, uh, many will say who read her poetry make you cry. I mean, right. she really writes about life experiences that are um, impactful, okay. I think, and uh, really can raise emotion in, in how, the way she writes. I was wondering if you got that trait. Because I know we'll talk about it, but you've written three books. Yes. So that must have come from your mind. Yeah, I mean, I um, actually, my, one of the things I consider a skill is my communication skills. Okay. And um, 
uh, I've always prided myself on that. I w- mm-hmm. Even from a young age, I was um, interested in writing. Like English and grammar were subjects that I really excelled in in school, uh-huh. and so um, so writing was always something that interested me. And even you know today, I obviously I publish the books, but I also regularly write articles and okay. a big part of our business marketing strategy is around yeah. delivering content right content and, and i wrote write most of that stuff yeah i was actually just listening to a podcast today um about a writer and he said that it's uh, the hardest thing is just getting started mm-hmm. so h- how do you fit that into your um like regime like writing and everything do you struggle with it at all or I'm a very disciplined it? person with respect to my habits and okay. my routines. Yeah. <laughs> Some might say I'm almost like anal or something. I just I'm I'm very driven by by routine. I yeah. I tinker with my routines, but when once I have my routine, I really follow it. Okay. And so so I make time every week for for writing. Okay. Um, and it, it doesn't matter what I'm maybe writing. I, there's the time is there. Right. So I might as well produce something, even if I might just be sketching an idea or not even finishing a product, but if I'm just kind of sketching out some ideas, okay. um, I'm, I'm taking that time to do taking it. Taking and blocking it out. Yeah. 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 So we'll get to routines too, because people love to hear sure. about that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but backing up a little bit. So um, you went to Piscopal and then you went on to Amherst. Yes. And your mom told me that you were the captain of both football and lacrosse. I wasn't the uh, captain of the lacrosse team. I was <laughs> okay. captain of the football, football. team. Football, yeah. 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 And yeah. so how did, did playing sports help you get with that regimented Mindset. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. You know, I always found that um, that you need that discipline, especially you know playing sports in school. Yeah. Um, so the ability to uh, manage your schedule and meet the needs of your academic requirements while you're playing a sport, I always found that if you didn't really closely budget your time, mm-hmm. then you're gonna you're gonna miss something. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna fall down on e- one of those two responsibilities. So I uh, I just it was always natural to me to to work from a, an agenda every okay. day. You know, every day I have a very clearly defined idea of what I want to accomplish and in what order. Right. And I think that's been something that's actually served me really well in yeah. a lot of different ways in my life. Awesome. Um, so you graduated from Amherst, and then what came next? Next was uh, a year that was a great year. I went moved out to Vail, Colorado, okay. and uh, spent a year as a ski instructor and bartender out nice. there, okay. um, which was really just an amazing great year met, mm-hmm. met a ton of really interesting people um but then i came came back home and ended up working for man, close to two years for a, a, an asset management firm called which was called rittenhouse capital management okay. here in the main line yeah that was a really cool experience for me even though i was young probably too young to even really know anything at all okay. but it was a business that was um experiencing very rapid growth okay. at the time that I was there. And it. so it was it was a real exciting environment. And I got to really see kind of how a high-functioning, uh, rapid growth business operates and evolves and adapts. Got it. Okay. And that was, um, I think that was, like I said, I was very young, but it definitely stuck with me, yeah. uh, some of that experience for sure. And then um, did that evolve into starting the company with your dad or, or going on your dad's team? Yes. Yeah, so... Okay. Um, I always knew that I, like financial services was my path from the jump, like okay. from a very early age. I, my dad was a stockbroker okay. and um, I was always so fascinated with his work mm-hmm. like all through my upbringing. You know, I was the kid in college who t- did the stock market contest okay. at school. Yeah, like yeah. I, I just was always, my internships during college were on Wall Street. Like mm-hmm. I just was always fascinated with 
markets and the way investments work and the capital markets. So I knew that was the path and I didn't really anticipate necessarily that I would join my dad, but at right around that time, he was working at Merrill Lynch and was tr trying to um, build a team, trying to expand his his business. Okay. And I think he... And what year is this, just so people... Uh, that would have been 1992. Okay, yeah. got it. So like almost, would that be almost, almost 30, 30 years? years ago. Wow, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. got it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Betraying my age, but yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, uh, at that time, and since that time, our industry has changed in very exceptionally dramatic ways. Right. And I think one of my dad's skills his whole life was he always was very insightful about the direction that our industry was moving. Okay. And I think he also knew at that time that his skill set was not uh, totally uh, tailored to some of the direction that the industry was moving. Okay. And so he, he wanted to bring me in as a young person who could have the time to develop some of the skill sets that were going to be required to groom me to, to lead his you know, his business. His business. Okay. Yes. And how old were you at that point? I mean, I would have been uh, 23 years old, you know, early 20s. Okay. Um, yeah, so. So it was you and your dad, correct me if I'm wrong, at Merrill Lynch? At Merrill Lynch. Okay, so yes. is it, how does that work? Is it almost like your own team at Merrill Lynch? Yes. Okay. Um, so we were employees of Merrill Lynch, um, but a team is a good way to put it. Okay. We would, to some degree, we could market ourselves a little bit independently. You, you always had to be careful that... Merrill Lynch wanted the, their brand on right. your on your activities, but okay. um, we kind of operated as our own little kind of uh, boutique team. Got it. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And then how long did you operate that way until you eventually broke off and started the company today? Consensus? So we spent 10 years at Merrill Lynch that way, and then another 10 years at uh, Wells Fargo. Okay. Uh, in fact, one of the really kind of formative times in my life was when we... Uh, we left Merrill Lynch. Okay. Um, we joined what at the time was known as Wachovia Securities. Okay. Um, that's early 2000s? This point? was in 2003. Okay. Yep. And um, come 2008, uh, Wachovia, uh, the parent company, Wachovia Bank, was one of the casualties of 2008. Okay. In fact, it was a situation where they overnight went bankrupt, okay. literally, literally overnight. Yeah. And um, the Treasury Secretary of the U.S., basically forced a marriage of Wells Fargo, which was one of the healthy banks, yeah. to, they forced them to take over Wachovia. So okay. we went home that night having no idea what the next That's morning was gonna yeah. bring, and then the next morning, lo and behold, we're, we're now part of Wells Fargo. Got it, okay. Um, so, but it was a similar environment, similar um, kind of platform to what we had at Merrill Lynch. And, right. then, and then in 2014, we left Big Wall Street altogether, altogether to start our own independent firm uh, okay. in 2014. Got it. Mm -hmm. And was that a little bit of a risk when you guys did that? Uh, I would say definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, it was, well, I'll put it this way. It was something that I wanted to do back in 03 when we left Merrill Lynch. I mean, okay. I had, my whole life, my whole career, I had been kind of badgering my dad to like, we need to, we need to leave and you we need to start it. our own firm. Okay. And um, it took us until 2014 to kind of to get it together, to be yeah. able to get the courage to do that. To do that yeah. um, uh, you know, there, there are financial, uh, you know, challenges to doing that, um, yeah. to, you know, have the capital to start your own firm. And in our case, we owed, there was some uh, 
deferred compensation that we had been okay. paid that we had to owe back. Oh, uh, so it, it cost okay. us money to leave. Right. And you, um, you know, very often there's a fight over your client list, you know, right. because there are, you know, kind of non-compete situations that, yeah. that get involved. And so it's risky, it's scary. And even with, even beyond the non-compete, you know, you have to count on the fact that your clients will you come with you and actually, right. you know, come join your new firm. Yeah. Um, so it's, it was a very scary time, um, but one that, you know, we were successful with. So yeah. one of yeah. the great accomplishments that I, you know, value in my life. Definitely, yeah. And did you have kids at that point? Oh, yeah. Okay. I sure did, <laughs> Did yeah. you have all three? We had uh, all three. Yes, okay. we did at that point. All three in private school. Right. You know, <laughs> uh, big house in Bryn Mawr, you know, the whole the whole thing in terms of uh, lifestyle and uh, requirements. So it was definitely a little, little nerve wracking. I mean, I had, I had a lot of confidence that, especially our clients um, with great relationships with really great clients. So I I felt pretty confident they were going to support us. And it was you and your dad and anybody else and your brother. Yeah. There were eight of us all together at that time. Got it. Um, So yeah, it was, so that too, I mean, I'm, I'm asking, these folks on my team to right. leave to the nest of a big, big Wall Street firm and come start a new company with right. them. Um, um, were there any setbacks you experienced during those first couple of years of getting them off the ground? Oh, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you able to disclose any of those and how you got through that? I mean, the, um, well, one was that, uh, you know, there are always in our industry, um, you know, we're not the first people who have left a big firm to mm-hmm. go start their own thing. And there, there are always situations um, that it's legendary that there are situations where um, there will be a client or two who choose not to join your new firm. Okay. And, and usually it's uh, the client who you most thought would, right. who doesn't, and the one who you most thought wouldn't actually yeah. does. And uh, so there were a couple, th- those were emotional setbacks or one or two situations. I mean, we mm-hmm. did very well, relatively speaking, but there were right. one or two who didn't come along. And that, you know, I mean, I think that really makes you examine your offering and rededicate yourself to making sure it's buttoned up. Right. Um, so, yeah. you know, as always, I, I see adversity as um, as an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the it's also true that you leave uh, a big firm, big multinational firm that has benefits and has... Mm-hmm. Um, payroll and you know all kinds of services and functions that now we have to manage and run ourselves right. we'd never run a business before that way exactly yeah. so there were definitely stumbling points and things people we had wearing to, a lot of different hats people wearing so, a lot okay. of different hats curves learning curves to climb technology was mm-hmm. a big challenge okay you know at at a, at a wells fargo your technology is just right there for you there's a whole it department that builds out your you know your your tech needs now we had to do that, build that ourselves. Okay. Um, there were a couple situations where we had to change uh, CRM, for example, or change some of the technology we were using. Okay. So, um, yeah, that just in a lot of ways could bog you down, you know. Definitely, yeah. Um, as you're building that infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, anyone tuning in that might be thinking of starting their own firm or some sort of company, mm-hmm. any advice you might have to them during that, like, do first it. couple of years? Yeah, do do it. It. Yeah. yeah, I mean... Um, Definitely, uh, it's you know one of the things that I, I wanted to do for a long time, and it's one of those things in life where you look back and say, "I wish I'd done it sooner." Okay. Um, I would say that um, one of the other challenges in a um, when you start a business and you're a technician um, in some particular field, um, uh, you have to understand 
that just because you're a good financial advisor doesn't mean that you'll be good at leading a financial advisory business. Okay. So you, there is a need for, and the same thing would apply to really any any business, that just because you're good at baking pies doesn't mean that you're going to be able to run a great run business, yeah. pastry business. Okay. So um, I think for me personally, what part of my evolution as I've gotten older is is learning to be a great leader and a great CEO mm-hmm. and to understand that in order to have a vibrant, growing business, there's no way that I can be the technician that right. does everything for every client just myself. You know, okay. I have to actually learn how to lead other team members to, to deliver a great service to our clients. Right. And speaking of that, like team members, um, do you have any management skills? I would say that's one of my um, weakest suits. And okay. actually, the evolution I'm describing mm-hmm. um, m- my management capabilities is the thing that I've most worked on. Okay. I always, you know, and this is the classic trap I think that a technician-based business falls into is you don't view management as important. You view the next client conversation as the only important thing. Okay. And it's and so when it comes to management responsibilities, you kind of um, you either shirk them, you abdicate by neglect, you kind of. Um, just don't place that importance on, on leadership and management because you're too busy focusing on taking care of your clients. The next deal, yeah. Taking care of our clients is ultimate responsibility in our firm. That's what right. we value the most. Okay. But, but what I've really started to learn, like I said a minute ago, is it's important for me to learn how to be a manager to, to train and teach others to do that as well as I would do it okay. if we want to to, to be a growth business. Right. Um, otherwise, we won't be a growth business. Exactly. We'll yeah. be a great business, but not a growth business. Right. So it's divide and conquer. So there's, yeah. a, real, there's a real balance there. I mean, I, okay. you know, on the one hand, you, you are fiercely dedicated to like doing the right thing for mm-hmm. clients, which that hasn't changed. Right. But the other hand is I've, I've learned that I need to include the team members in doing that, and okay. that requires real management skills. Got it. So okay. it's something I've been focusing on developing and learning a lot in the last few years. Okay. How, do you read any books? Are there any good books that you recommend? Or? Uh, I mean, I, I read all the time. Okay. Um, but one particular book on this particular topic, yeah. there's a there's a, um, a New York Times bestseller called The E-Myth, um, which is uh, okay. was written in the, I think, the eight, late 80s by a guy named Michael Gerber. Okay. And, it speaks, and I'll find the info. I'll put on the show okay. notes, too, for people. Yeah, that, that book speaks specifically to this particular topic, making okay. the transition from a technician to an entrepreneur um you know instead of uh mcdonald's is a great example okay instead of being super expert at making a cheeseburger ray Kroc was super expert at making a system of restaurants that all could produce a great cheeseburger okay and that's kind of what the e-myth is about and it's you know a book that has been very influential in me in the last few years very cool yeah um and speaking of your business consensus wealth advisors um, can you provide the listeners with a little bit about what kind of services you guys Absolutely. can provide? And again, I'm a beginner and there's a lot of yeah. beginners tuning in. So yeah, would love to So we that. work with individuals and families, mostly families, okay. um, who, uh, come to us because they want help in designing, uh, a financial plan for their lives, right? Okay. Basically trying to sit down and talk about what's important to them, mm-hmm. uh, what they envision for their lives financially, whether they want to send kids to private school or buy a beach house, retire someday. Okay. So let's articulate the things that you think are really important for you financially okay. and then put in place a written plan mm-hmm. to achieve that. 
okay, through a savings program if necessary, an investment program, and then down the road, if, when, if and when you are retired, a program for how you're going to actually um, disperse those savings back to yourself in the okay. form of a, a retirement income. Okay. Um, so um, the actual kind of technical like uh, services that we provide really run the gamut. We're providing advice on, on tax uh, decisions that the clients may be making, how to um, what appropriate level of life insurance they should have to protect their family and how to go about that, how they should finance their mortgage on their home, okay. um, how they should set up their will. Mm-hmm. Um, so a whole range of, of financial topics okay. that everybody has to make decisions about right. in life. Um, but, but really what, probably the biggest part of that is how they should structure their investments okay. to give themselves the best possible chance of achieving those goals that they that they laid out. Got it. And how do you separate yourself from other wealth management firms in the area? Probably in that in that last category with respect to uh, helping clients to set up an appropriate investment uh, okay. program. One of the um, probably one of the key elements of our uh, value proposition is that. Um, most people think that investing is a, uh, a technical discipline, that it has to do with um, intelligence and crunching numbers and that it's basically a, um, an engineering problem, okay? okay? And the fact is that we believe that the truth is that investing isn't any of that, that investing is a temperamental exercise. Okay. It actually has to do with control of one's emotions, right. okay? Um, right now is a perfect example. Mm-hmm. Um, the coronavirus yeah. is running rampant through uh, the world and uh, causing... Just so listeners know, it's March 6th today. March so 6th, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> we are in the middle of it. And, um, and I, by the way, I've seen plenty of episodes like this in my life. But, right. But um, if you look at the impact of the coronavirus mm-hmm. on investing, okay, the stock market is free-falling right now. Okay. Uh, it's, it's extremely volatile. And the reason why it's extremely volatile is because investors are throwing um, all those um, technical aspects of investing and all the kind of rational elements of making decisions about investments totally out the window. And they're making their decisions with their emotions. Um, They're afraid they're going to catch coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So that's rattling around in their head. Every time they turn on CNBC, there's a news story about how much more terrible this is going to become. And um, and so emotions are very high. And so they have a tendency to to want to panic and to want to sell their their stock portfolio and Mm -hmm. get me out. Right. And um, Despite the fact that at your age, as an example, um, you've got uh, over 30 years to save for your, for your retirement, mm-hmm. okay? So does it really seem reasonable that 30 years from now that the coronavirus, is, the impact of that on the stock market is going to be a, me- a distant memory, if, if even that, right? right? In right. other words, like, what, what, what does this current activity have to do with the fact that stock prices 30 years from now are going to be way higher than they are today. Right. Okay. And people can rationally understand that, but still say, I got to sell everything. Right. Uh, in, a, in a panic. Yeah. Um, so 
fear and greed are the okay. two things that drive investment prices. Okay. And um, the same thing happens, by the way, with, with respect to greed. Okay. Um, and I've lived through experiences like that as well. Uh, you may have been way too young to remember this, but in the late 1990s, when the internet was first right, okay. kind of coming on the scene, um, the investment landscape was such that uh, anything with a dot-com, any company with a dot-com at the end of the name was the only thing that was going to be the, the whole economy was going to be just dot-com. Okay. And people were making ridiculously crazy decisions about pouring money into dot-com stocks and companies like GE and Merck and, you know, all so-called old economy companies were right. nothing. And, um, and so people were overly exuberant about the prospects of the dot-com business. They put all their money into that. They got, they got equally emotional on the other side okay. with exuberance. And uh, anytime people become overly emotional uh, with exuberance, typically what ends up happening, which is what happened after that, okay. the dot-com bubble burst. Right. And all those stocks, many of them went to zero. Okay. And people lost fortunes uh, at at that point in time. So there are these extremes of investor emotion that people fall prey to when they're investing that can cause them to make terrible mistakes with their investments. And really the biggest part of our value is, number one, is the fact that I've made those mistakes personally. I've actually made them. Okay, so I know how damaging they can be. So um, I can explain to my clients I wouldn't do that right. if I were you. Right, I wouldn't right, make right. that mistake if yeah, I were you. Exactly. Um, that's the biggest part of our value. That's part of it, yeah. yeah. And then speaking of um, your books, I want to talk about yes, too a little bit. Sure. Because, you know, you, you've written three. And one question I kind of want to incorporate into that is um, I always ask guests about the meaning of grit. So mm-hmm. Angel Duckworth's book. Have you read that book? I've not. I've heard okay. a ton about it. Okay. But, yeah. So Grit, the Power of Passion and Perseverance. Um, she's from Philadelphia, mm-hmm. um, teacher at Penn, and they really talk about this meaning of grit. And so um, when you were just talking about starting your company, obviously it's have a lot of grit. And obviously it's a lot of grit to also have time to write you know, these books. So what does that word mean to you and how you incorporate it into your life? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think to me it's it's a sense of toughness, mm-hmm. a sense of um, not letting outside factors uh, influence how you behave and what the things you know you can control in okay. your day to move in the direction that you want to move. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest is like okay. I, I really feel like um, it's very important to filter out the outside influences in your life that you can't control. Okay. Coronavirus is a perfect example. example. Like yeah. I come in this morning and it's very easy to fall into a sense of paralysis right. because, I'm, because I'm genuinely worried. I'm like, mm-hmm. I, like it's all over the news and mm-hmm. it's scary, you right. know, but, but there's also nothing I can do about it. Right. Like I can't come up with a, a cure for coronavirus mm-hmm. today. Right. The only thing I can do is call my clients, okay. uh, keep them calm, talk to them. Um, I can, um, you know, write my next blog Right. Okay. I can I can do the things that I know how to do and that I right. know in the long run will keep leading me towards the success that I want, right. regardless of the stuff that's buzzing around outside of me. Okay. Um, staying in your lane almost. It, yeah. Right. I mean, and that's that's not easy to do. Right. Um, you know, because the alpha, outside influences of the world mm-hmm. um, do can get you down. Right. Can beat you down. Exactly. Um, you know, 2008 was really 
you know, one of your questions was like, what's the time where you really demonstrated the most grit? Right. It wasn't starting my business. It was getting through 2008, 2009. Okay. Um, that was a time when, um, you know, again, every morning you open the newspaper and something else is going wrong. Right. And uh, the stock market was, you know, the stock market went down 57% mm-hmm. in nine months at, right. that, at that point in time. The companies were going bankrupt and people were losing their homes. And it was um, an awful, awful time. And right. my clients were incredibly upset. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was really tough to filter that all right. out. Um, but uh, but I had to, okay. you know, in, in order to stay sane, you right. know, I had to. Yeah. Um, and I would also say as a side note to that, that um, one of the things that I think is absolutely critical and I've always had and that is a mm-hmm. sense of optimism. Right. Yeah. That like, even in 2008 or right now with coronavirus, I might've been scared when I woke up this morning, but I know it's gonna be okay. Right. Like I, I just, believe wholeheartedly that if I just stick to my knitting and do what exactly. I know I know how to do right and do it every day a little bit harder than I did the day before yeah eventually this too will pass and I'll get where I want to go exactly yeah good answer I like yeah. that yeah, yeah. <laughs> um so we talked about obviously adversity just there and grit one other question I like to talk about is art of listening so I think that's really a hard skill to develop yeah um and I always said how Jay Wright you know, he didn't come up with this quote, but he always tells his players, um, you have two ears and one mouth, so listen twice as much as you speak. Sure. Um, so how do you practice art of listening, especially with all of your clients? Yeah. It's interesting. It's actually, I've actually taken training on on listening skills. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Any there's good a, tricks? Because there are tricks, I know, to like... Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, of, you know, there's something to active listening where you're okay. actually, some of your body movements and your um, expressions... Uh, non-verbally demonstrate to the other person that you're listening to them. Okay. Um, listening is actually uh, not an easy skill. It's it's, not, it actually no. takes effort to yeah. actually listen to somebody. Mm-hmm. And um, but the reason so the reason I've taken training in it is because it's so critical to right. to my business, mm-hmm. our industry. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely everything. Um, when we first meet with somebody, one of the first things that we have to demonstrate. They won't sit in a meeting with us for more than 15 minutes unless we demonstrate trust. That's right. Money business is all about trust. Yeah. And we have to like demonstrate that right off the jump when we're when we're first working with somebody. And really the the best way that I've learned to do that is to demonstrate to them that I'm really interested in them and mm-hmm. what they have to say and what's important to them. Mm-hmm. And so um, that is really all about listening. Awesome, yeah. So really our kind of, especially our, our new engagement process with clients is all mm-hmm. about a series of questions. Okay. Um, there's a rule that we try to keep, especially with a new client meeting, and that is if we're talking more than 10% of that meeting, we lost that meeting. Wow. Right? Okay. It's almost like a, like a game. Yeah. Um, I can't be talking more than 10% of the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, with existing clients, it's equally important. Um, in those interactions, we are doing more of the talking because they're, right. in many cases, they're looking to us to actually deliver right. advice. Yeah. But, but the beginning part of our client review meetings is also about what's new, mm-hmm. um, what's happening with your family. Right. Um, what is there anything specific that you wanted to cover today before we get to our agenda mm-hmm. and and a series of questions like those that get our client talking mm-hmm. so that we can um, 
get, get a sense of what, where they are, okay. what, what, what's, what's important to them today. Got it. Um, really, really important in our business. Okay. And yeah. you're right. I think it's a hard skill. Like you have to consciously practice it too. As I said, I, uh, have read books and some training on, on listening and, um, it is definitely a, it's a, it's a physical, a physically demanding skill. You mm-hmm. actually literally have to um, use your brain's concentration to listen to You can hear somebody, right? which is a less active form, of, uh, and it's not listening really. And you'll glean some of the gist of what they're saying, but actually listening is, um, is, is physically demanding. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. I can even say that with the podcast, but sometimes like I'll be interviewing someone. I'm like thinking about the next question. I'm like, no, stay in the, yeah. stay in the moment. It takes it's definitely um, brain control yeah. of your own mind, to, right. your monkey mind to not exactly. let your monkey yeah, mind yeah. jump onto the next thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it really is not, not easy. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, and then going to the next question, uh, the definition of success. So in your opinion, what does the word success mean to you? And then when you think of the word success, who do you think of? And it can be more than one person. Mm, that's a tough one. I mean, obviously, I am uh, I'm money motivated. Mm-hmm. I, I'm somebody who i motivated by growth. And um, I think for me, that, that side of success really is about freedom. Mm. You know, I'm, I'm very motivated by freedom. You know, it's not the money itself. Right. It's, it's the freedom mm-hmm. that comes along with it. But I think at a higher level, for me, um, success is around, um, you know, being the kind of person who um, is reliable, mm-hmm. uh, has integrity, and, and you know, um, uh, has an impact on others. Okay. And that, that, to me, is the ultimate thing that drives me in our business is the ability to, um, in, a, in an area of life that is critically important to people, like whether you like it or not, in today's society your financial well-being is very high on the list of things that are important. Okay. And we have, in my firm, we have a direct impact in people's lives with that, with respect to that area of their life. And the idea that we can go to somebody who, if they didn't have us, they would have a very different level of financial success. Okay. And we can, we can impact them, in many cases, for multiple generations. Okay. We, have, we have families where... We're now working with their kids on the wealth that they're that they've developed and that the family has that the parents have gifted downstream and that's um, inspiring to me the, okay. the idea of having that kind of impact right. uh, for people and to know that we had you know X number of clients that we did that for uh, in my life uh, you know that only enabled me to die happy right exactly yeah and then within the past six years when was the point where you were like okay we're good, we're okay like we're on our way a little bit. It, it, it came, it took a lot longer than I originally had hoped it would. Okay. I, I would say, I mean, it, it was a few years, probably three years in, maybe four okay. years in before okay. I felt like we've really developed our systems here and we're a real business. Right. Um, uh, yeah, there was, there was, a, there was a fair amount of flying by the seat of the pants right, right. for the first couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, we were making money. Um, so it wasn't as much about the financial piece, but it was more about just like building out our systems and mm-hmm. our technology and yeah. et cetera, um, definitely took took some time. Exactly. A couple of years, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and one question I thought of uh, yesterday after I talked to your mom is she said that you're big in giving back, and so is the company. So can you talk about the importance of that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I was raised that way. You mm-hmm. know, you went to Holy Child. You yeah. know, it's uh, the idea that... Um, you know, to those who much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel uh, very blessed in my life with 
on multiple fronts. And I have always felt uh, a drive to share those blessings with, with others mm-hmm. uh, in the best way that I could. Right. Um, so that's something that we ingrain into the culture here at the firm. Okay. Um, and it's Paul and I both are, you know, it's very important to us personally. Right. Aren't you on the board or you're the head of the caddy master? Um, I am the, the, the trustee at okay. Philadelphia Country Club. So I'm on the board of the Jay Wood Platt okay. uh, Caddy Scholarship Fund. That's Which my is pretty kind cool. Of, yeah. It's an awesome, awesome cause. Um, okay. In fact, just two nights ago, I had a night of interviews. I had interviewed, uh, I think, eight uh, young men who okay. were caddies who were mm-hmm. trying to get this scholarship. I got to tell you, <laughs> I don't know how I got into college because one of these young guys were so bright, okay. um, so well-spoken, and uh, in almost every instance coming from a family where the parents aren't able to, you know, help them with college and okay. they're, they're, you know, looping caddying to right. pay their own way through school. Right. And so the money that we're raising is, is really making a serious impact with these, yeah. with these young folks. That's um, awesome. So and I, I, I say that of all the different kind of charitable uh, areas that are important to me, I would say education is just one that, okay. um, I feel like, you know, there's the old saying about if you give someone a fish, uh, they eat for a night, teach them okay. to fish, they eat for a lifetime. And okay. so, to me, um, spending time and resources on education mm-hmm. is teaching them to teaching someone to fish. Definitely, yeah. Um, you know, there are instances where it's important to give them a fish, where people are underprivileged or whatever, and you ha- they need direct help. But for me, helping someone to help themselves right. is a big deal, and I, and I don't see any uh, anything other than education, education that does that yeah. any better than education does. For sure, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have time for some quick rapid fire questions sure okay so you talked about before that you're a regimented person so i'd love to hear about some of your daily routines that help you get through the day yeah um wake up uh work out first thing gotta have exercise i wake up at five okay wow yeah first thing is 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 exercise gotta sweat i i'll go crazy in the day if i don't just get some energy out yeah um, I have a little time for prayer and reflection, okay. uh, before, you know, before the house wakes up, um, okay. then, um, you know, wake up the household breakfast, help the kids get off to school, okay. um, get into work, um, kind of have a little time for setup of the day, okay. hit like emails that are urgent that have to be responded to, Got or it. just look at my calendar for today, make sure that my time blocks are set properly. Okay. Uh, spend an hour uh, on the business. Um, I actually do some coaching with Emeth. Okay. So I spend an hour um, of pure time that's just entrepreneurial. It's like no clients, no staff, no just oh, wow. kind of working on projects around making the business better. Okay. Um, then I will um, probably usually spend a few hours on the phone doing outreach to uh, either clients and or prospect, okay. you know, clients and prospects. Got it. Maybe a little time writing. Okay. Um, and then usually it's by the end of the day. I, I may kind of work on a project that I started in the morning. Okay. Um, but then it's like kind of wrap up, hit whatever emails didn't get Got addressed it. during the day. Um, you know, kind of wrap up the day. Okay. Yeah. And then health wise too. Do you have a certain like eating? People love to know how people like to stay healthy that way too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I the, I love to eat. Okay. Like, I, I, <laughs> Um, and on the weekends, I probably let myself go a little more. Mm-hmm. But on the weekend, or I mean, on the weekday, yeah. I'm pretty regimented. Okay. The morning, uh, an apple with peanut butter. Okay. <laughs> Lunchtime's a salad. 
And then at night, I'm actually a big Blue Apron guy. Um, okay. We get into Blue Apron. Oh, you guys apron, like that. Okay. And I cook it. My wife is a realtor, so a lot of her work is like around mm-hmm. the dinner hour. Yeah. It's kind of a good way for us to unwind. She'll be like, her desk is in our kitchen. Okay. So she sits at her desk. She might be on the phone or responding the emails. Okay. I'm cooking the dinner. We're kind oh, of wow. talking about the day. So we yeah. have a little, a little time, yeah. even though she may be doing a little work. Um, and then, um, and then we have our meal and, okay. and I actually, I've been doing that for about a year, year and a half. And I love that time to, to cook. It's like cook, yeah. kind of mindless, you know, work right. that, and I, and I love a good dinner. Like good I love dinner, like, yeah. and those dinners are tasty. So. Yeah, definitely. So anyway, and we didn't talk about your wife at all too. So she's yeah. in residential real estate, right? She so is. give a shout out to her too. Uh, she's a superstar. Okay. She is, uh, has become very successful. Okay. She was born to be a realtor. Nice. Literally. Yeah born to do it okay uh, she loves it she's so good at it I've seen a lot of her things on Facebook too she does a yeah. really good job at sharing it uh, when I see someone it. just out socially who she either helped sell or buy their home yeah. they're like your wife was amazing oh, like awesome. people just rave about her I mean she's my wife so I'm bragging but she just was born to do it she's yeah. so good at it that's awesome yeah very cool yeah um and then if you, what advice would you give to your 30 year old self? So I'm 32. So when I started the podcast, I was 30. So I always like kind of a selfish question there a little bit, but cause you're 50 now. I'm 50. Okay. We're just closing it. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> yeah. Probably my, you know, my, for me, the greatest mistakes I've made have been around investing mistakes okay. and they're all emotional. They're all were my own emotions. I mean, running away with me. Right. Um, and so if I were, uh, giving my 30 year old self advice, I just say, just be optimistic, you know, never, never sell out, okay. uh, the United States economy and the United States stock market. Never doubt it. Okay. You know, never get scared. Right. You know, there may be temporary periods of time where it looks like crap, but right. just be optimistic. Okay. It's just, you don't bet against it. Okay. And then if you could, uh, put one phrase on a billboard, what would it be? Oh my goodness. One phrase on a billboard. Um, this dumps some people, so don't worry. Yeah. You can't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, probably keep calm and carry on. Okay. I like that one. I like that one too. Especially right now. With I, I saw someone posted yeah. the other day keep calm and wash your hands. And wash your hands. Yeah. Like, that's all. Don't I, touch your face. Yeah. What else can you do? Yeah. Keep calm, wash your hands, and this too shall pass. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then one last question. If you could give one book to every person you met besides your own, uh, what would it be? One book. Uh, there's a book called The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. Okay. By Scott and Peck. it's it's a book about, um, I guess at the end of the day, it's, it's a book about the nature of love. Okay. And what it, what it means to truly love another person mm-hmm. uh, selflessly and without ego. Okay. Um and it's a really tremendous book. Okay. I'll yeah. put that in the show notes along yeah. with everything else we talked about. Yeah. And then anything else you want to share? Yeah, you hit me up most, pretty good. I think yeah. we covered mostly everything. Yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. Awesome. High yeah. five, Eric. Yeah, that was good. You. That Thanks was fun. For, yeah. yeah. Just- Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Hayden, or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. 
And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.